0: The purpose of any sales call is to get another human being emotional. That's the purpose because people buy emotionally and justify intellectually. So therefore, if you do not have a question framework designed to move a human from intellect to emotion, you are simply asking questions for the sake of asking questions. You need to have an end goal. My end goal is if I can't get someone emotional, it means there's probably no way we're going to move forwards.
1: Project A podcast. Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome to the Project A podcast. This is Raul Parajan. I'm a sales and customer success specialist at Project A. I'm very happy to have Benjamin Dennehy here, who is uh, also known as the UK's most hated sales trainer. And we will probably talk about that in a second, uh, how that came into being. Uh, We will discuss a lot of what he does, a lot of what he thinks. um, And we are, especially me, very excited to have him on here. Uh, I'll talk about how that came into being, maybe uh, with Benjamin introducing himself quickly, and then I'll talk about why he's actually here. Because uh, again, to me personally, uh, that was quite a big deal. So hi, Benjamin. Uh, say hello to everyone and introduce yourself. Well, hello. Uh, yes, uh, Ralph. thanks for inviting me on. Hello, listeners.
0: Uh, thank you for getting this far and listening in. Uh, as Ralph said, my name is Benjamin. I am known as the UK's most hated sales trainer. People often ask me, how did I become the UK's most hated sales trainer? Well, unfortunately, there is no international body that measures these things. I literally, I I made it up, folks. I, I made it up because the one thing I know that everyone in sales wants to be is loved and liked. And if you read LinkedIn, how does everybody describe themselves if they're in the world of sales training? Well, mentoring, they're always a leader, an expert, a guru, a professional, number one. And I thought, it's a load of nonsense. What does nobody want to be? Hated. So I decided I'd be hated and I took it. Now, only an idiot would come along and say he's more hated. So um, yeah, create a space and own it. Uh, Marketing 101.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Love it. Uh, I don't think that's how I came to find yourself. Uh, For me, it was more that... I'm really looking at a lot of different sales stuff on YouTube. Uh, I find it's a very good platform for that because re- video really gives you a little bit of time to to explain a little bit more of what you're about. And uh, for you, I think it was a good platform to, to build a channel of your own. So check that out for sure. Um... I also used your uh, input quite a bit during my sales trainings. Funnily enough, I just came back from one. So I have a training this entire week for 20 hours. You also give a lot of trainings and coachings, and we're going to jump into that later on as well. Um, And and usually those videos are you recording some of the things that you would be doing in there, right? Correct, yes, yes. Live cold calling particularly. Yeah. And maybe why is it that I'm so excited to have Benjamin in here? So to a certain degree... Uh, you can imagine me sitting in front of my computer, uh, sitting in front of YouTube, with popcorn in my hand, just shouting at so many things that he absolutely gets it. So I agree with so many things entirely uh, that I oftentimes I think you you copied something from my mind. But then at other times, uh, I'm like, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. And I, I really enjoy that. Uh, that, that there seems to be some things where our minds are absolutely in sync, which you don't know yet, but you will and uh, some things where I just absolutely disagree with you, and uh, I love that, and I thought that that would make for a very important uh, and interesting conversation, so uh, let's jump into it. Bring it on. Yeah, so what I would like to do today is uh, you talk a lot about mindset, and you talk a lot about conceptions and the inner works of a salesperson, I'd like to start with that a little bit, so let's call it a little bit up in the air, Uh, and I would like to work myself towards precedingly practical aspects of how it is that salespeople can get better, uh, since particularly, obviously, this will be important for salespeople, but also for head of sales, sales leaders, VP sales. And we also want to give them a little bit of a practical aspect to it. Fine. Yeah? Yeah. So I want to start with something that is very uh, dear to your, but also my heart, which is a mindset. And uh, you talk a lot about th- something that you might sum up as social conditioning, uh, but also what is behind uh, a salesperson and what is usually keeping them back. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that a little bit?
0: Uh, well, yeah, we are creatures of our programming, and our programming goes back to what we were taught uh, as young children and how we we formed responses and reactions to particular events in our life that we then carry through with us uh, as an adult A lot of the things we were taught as children, nobody explained to us as a kid that these were simply rules for children. No one told you that when they said to you, never talk to a stranger, they never said until you're an adult. So what you have as a human, you have a script in your head that whenever it comes to talking to a stranger, there's a little bit of nervousness and apprehension because you're about to violate a piece of programming that you were given. The same goes for things like uh, it's rude to interrupt. We were all taught as kids, it's rude to interrupt. Of course, how are you ever going to be a successful salesman if you have to interrupt busy strangers over the telephone when prospecting? So there's a lot of programming in us and there's loads. I could go on for days about it, but there's so much programming that dictates how we behave as a grown-up and it's unconscious behavior. And it's that unconscious behavior that until we're aware of it, we can claim ignorance. But once I show people it, they can no longer be ignorant of it. It's a willful choice. Um, another programming is the desire to answer a question. We were programmed from the moment we were born that if we're asked a question, we have to give an answer. And if we gave the wrong answer as a kid, we were programmed to try and give the right answer. So now you grow up, And you have this programming that says, if anybody asks you a question, especially someone in authority or older than you, you better give them an answer. And not only give them an answer, try to give them the right one. And if you give them the right one, you'll get approval and praise and you'll feel loved. If you give the wrong one, you may feel unaccepted. And this is the problem salespeople have, is they have a desire to be accepted, to look good, to sound good, to answer the question. So it's all that programming that makes it difficult for them to be successful at selling. So how do you get out of it? You retrain your brain. You retrain your brain. So you learn techniques. I teach techniques on how to overcome answering a question. Once you learn how to not answer a question, you then got to learn how to do it. So asking a question in response to a question is great, but if you ask the wrong question in the wrong way and deliver it in the wrong style – It will bomb. So not only do you have to learn not to answer a question, you then have to learn what is the right question to ask and how should I ask it. Because remember, communication is how it's received, not what's intended. Everybody's been in an argument and heard those fatal words, but that's not what I meant. Well, if that's not what you meant, you obviously screwed up in communicating your intent. So learning the skill on how to ask a question in a way that will not upset somebody when you're deliberately avoiding answering their question, it requires a lot of practice. It can be learned. I learned it. Everything I teach, I've learned. I have yep. created this or was born special.
1: <laughs> I have a funnily enough that this happens today. So I click on LinkedIn today, and there's a friend of mine uh, who I used to work with. He's called his name's uh, Mikhail Bohanes. I hope I'm not pronouncing it wrong. And uh, he uh, does similar things to you, but he teaches people how to uh, reach out, how to create reach out on LinkedIn. Right. And anyway, he talked today about uh, a post that was, um, don't be an ask hole. So that's an A-S-K hole, right? Yeah. And the point of his post, which I really loved, was that there are so many people that just go into a sales call or any conversation just asking Random questions yeah. that really don't sum up, that don't add anything to the conversation, and just tire someone out, especially the prospect. Yeah. And I've, I've that re- resonated with me so much because I've seen that so much happening with salespeople, especially younger ones, but even older ones who are taught that you need to ask a ton of questions uh, the way you should be asking them, and and they still seem to be doing it wrong. So, um, do you have some ideas about that? Or some thoughts? And how do you how do you play that with, for example, something like spin selling, which I'm sure you've read or, or oh, I've I'm seen? Really, yeah. But the way my favorite sales book ever written not just because of the spin framework but because of the whole approach to sales so how do you reconcile something like don't be an asshole"? like don't overwhelm them with stupid questions to ask their, ask their your way into them understanding the problem
0: well it's it's very simple you see the average salesman has no idea what the purpose of selling is so if you were to ask a lawyer you know what is the purpose of the high court they'd be able to tell you um But if you ask a salesman what is the purpose of a sales call, either a cold calling, prospecting call, or even a face-to-face meeting, what is the purpose? You'll get answers like, well, to to get a meeting, to get an appointment, to make a sale, to qualify out, to find need, to discover pain. All of these answers, all of those things are outcomes. An appointment is an outcome. Yeah, qualification in or out is an outcome. A sale is an outcome. Those are all outcomes. That's not the purpose. And if you don't know what the purpose is, how are you ever, ever, ever going to know how to get there with the questions? So here is the answer, the secret, the purpose of any sales call is to get another human being emotional. That's the purpose because people buy emotionally and justify intellectually. So therefore, if you do not have a question framework designed to move a human. From intellect to emotion, you are simply asking questions for the sake of asking questions. You need to have an end goal. My end goal is if I can't get someone emotional, it means there's probably no way we're going to move forwards. Once you understand that, selling becomes very, very easy.
1: You got me very emotional with that speech of yours right now, <laughs> uh, breaking down in, in the front of the mic here. Uh, but I, I know what you mean, right? I, I talk about this during my trainings too. Uh, I call that getting the uh, the person in front of you to wake up. So something that I've, today I've said this to the group of students, is you should always assume that the person in front of you is barely awake or mostly asleep, mm-hmm. and it's your job to get them awake. That's how I described it. And yeah, lot, it, it like goes that. into the same direction, right? Getting them awake or getting them To mm, be able to be receptive to your emotion is the same thing that you're describing. Yeah.
0: They've got to, deep down on an emotional level, want to change. So it doesn't matter how intellectually brilliant your solution is. If that person doesn't feel they need it or feel they want it, it will go nowhere. No one has ever bought anything intellectually, ever.
1: So would you say that all emotions are created equal? Is there, are there, some emotions you're trying to to create and others you are trying to achieve or is it just any state of emotion just going out of an intellectual state what is it that you're trying to achieve this will all depend most
0: uh comes out of fear unfortunately so particularly in business so look most of the companies i work with it's not they don't get me in because they got a sales problem uh you know, they're not hitting target. That's a symptom of a bigger problem. When I dig deeper, discover that most people I work with have kids at private school. It costs a lot of money to send kids to private school. Mm. If your company's not hitting target and you're not getting those big fat bonuses, you can't afford the lifestyle that you've created for yourself. So there's a fear of losing that. They don't care about the figures, they just want to know that they can send their kids to that private school next term so again i'm being slightly broader here but everything is driven by some person so it could be fear it could be gain it could be greed it could be legacy ceos want to leave a legacy they want to be seen to have achieved Mm. something so you can tap into pride you can tap into all of those things it is there which emotion is going to be the trigger for why you're in front of a prospect you won't know until you get there but With all human beings, there's only a range of emotions, um, and everyone knows what those are. So it's not that complicated to get there if you know how to.
1: Yeah. I I would agree also with uh, fear being a big one, uh, especially in the salesperson, in the person doing the job. Um, But Something that I want to switch to because we've talked a lot, and we will keep talking about that a lot, from the eyes of a salesperson. So, so far the individual in the organization has been the object of analysis. Uh, in my job, in, in at what we do at Project A, we also deal a lot with organizations as a whole. So let's assume an entire sales organization, be, f- be five or six people uh, doing different jobs in different countries and ahead of sales what do you what is your approach to a sales organization when it comes to the misconceptions that they might have uh, the, the conditioning that they might be under I'll, I'll just give you one at the top of my head so we have about 50 portfolio companies and after a while and I've worked with many of them at least half of them I've seen from the inside uh, after a while you you understand that sales is the same everywhere at least some elements of it yeah. but still when you go into an organization what are they going to tell you every single time oh I, I get you i understand that there's a core to sales but we are different and i'm sure yes. that you've heard that as well as an organization oh, right oh, oh um, yes. Yes. So so what are some of these, uh, or maybe you have a comment to that, but what are some of these that you've seen uh, organizations have as a misconception?
0: Well, the idea that you're niche, as you say, is a big misconception. We're special, we're different, we're unique. No, you're not. Um, if someone has to give you money, you're in sales. And the thing is prospects never change the way they buy. Uh, So a person buying an aircraft character behaves and acts exactly the same way as someone buying some toothpaste and being slightly flippant, but they go through the same process. Emotionally, they need it, and then they have to intellectually justify why they do it. So the idea that you're niche uh, uh, is nonsense. Uh, Another one I hear is um, no one would ever pay for a proposal or a quote or something like that. I sell quotes and proposals all the time. In fact... Hmm. At the end of my first sales call, so if a CEO were to contact me and we set up a scheduled call, by the end of that call, one of two things will happen. Either we will say no to each other or he's going to pay me for the next part of the conversation. I know that for a fact. So all of my calls end with me selling a proposal or a no. I'm happy with both. Every company I've started working with, if they have the courage to do it, starts charging for stuff they were doing for free, despite telling me that no one would pay for it. Knowing how to get someone to pay for it, that's the skill, but it can be done. So that's a that's a huge misconception. Than organizations. Another one is is that um, you have to do stuff for prospects in order to get them to want to buy from you. So you've just got to do this one more thing, that it's yep. your job to demonstrate your skills, knowledge, and expertise through the answers you give. And I highlight that actually it's not the answers you give that make you intelligent, it's the questions you ask. Because if you can yep. ask a question of a CEO and have that very guy scratch his head and say, That's a good question. I don't know the answer. Who's the smartest person in the room? Not the guy who doesn't know the answer. So questions are the key. Most people get this wrong. They believe it is our job as a salesman to convince. And that is another fallacy in most organizations. Selling is not the art of convincing. Selling is the art of enabling someone to discover they need what you have. Because if someone discovers something, they own it. If you try and convince somebody, you will always be fighting an uphill battle. There's an old quote, and I'll end on this. It says, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So many salesmen have convinced someone to do something and then got that dreaded phone call three days later when they've had a chance to actually think it over and the pressure's not on them. And they've said, you know what? We're not going to move ahead. And they don't know why. But I convinced them I was so good. Yeah, well, convincing isn't how you get people to buy get them to discover they need what you have, and they'll never look back.
1: I absolutely agree. I would even say that this is the core of, you might call it the spin-selling approach, is it's getting people to convince themselves of something and maybe even discover the convictions that they've already had and vocalize them instead of convic- convincing them yourself. One, because it's harder, uh, but two, because they might also change their, their mind very quickly. And even in B2C or B2B, uh, there's almost no way that they can't get out of a contract uh, two or three days later. So just getting a quick conviction that doesn't doesn't work anymore, right? The easiest way to get someone to
0: buy something is to tell them they can't have it. (laughs) Yeah? Do you know how hard it is for me to get people to say no to me on these phone calls? When you tell someone to give you a no, they don't want to. Because people don't like to be told what to do. And I spend more times trying to convince people not to hire me than I'd, I've never convinced anyone to work with me. I've done it the other way. I spend my whole time trying to get rid of people and they just won't go away.
1: I, I would also say, I mean, it, it is is—it is something that underlies, obviously, uh, sales, uh, the the psychological aspect of not having what you can't have. But I would also say that telling someone why they wouldn't work with you, it adds a lot to the, you might call it the challenger position, if you've read the challenger yeah. mindset, uh, but it also it adds a lot of trust to the whole relationship. And it adds at least, well, maybe not on the human level, that's another thing, but it adds trust that they, the person you're talking to, if they're willing to tell you why you wouldn't work with them, Um, it tells you that they might be actually looking at your situation from a differentiated perspective. And they're they're also going to give you that when they work with you. So this is something that I also do. I really think about, does this make sense for them? And if it doesn't, I I walk away or I tell them why. And funnily enough, many times we find a way to work around those limitations. Mm -hmm. So let's assume it's something I can't do. Uh, let's assume it is a tool i don't know and i'll tell them look i I cannot do that uh that will be 50 percent of the project we can't do it and many times what comes out is they'll just change the project they'll say all right okay we'll use another tool so we can do it with you Mm, i agree Uh, yeah um a a
0: professional salesman is not interested in the outcome he's interested uh, how he gets there so i know that if a prospect has problems i can fix and they're able to convince me, see, I flip it around, they can convince me they want to fix those problems, then I know I can help them. So i never have to justify or defend or convince someone to use me because I know I can help you if you have problems I can fix. The question is, do you want to fix them, and are you ready to work with me? So the mindset is flipped. The prospect, I don't care if you've got money. I don't need your money. You need me. I don't need you. Very powerful mindset.
1: Yeah. I'd like to close, or at least for now, the, the mindset section with that and move towards, I would say, the second aspect, which is uh, how do you differentiate yourself as a salesperson, especially in markets that are highly competitive? And uh, that includes, of course, differentiating yourself as a salesperson itself, but also uh, as a product from the competition. And um, well, it's, it's, what are some of its practices there? Yeah. Well, it can be summed up in one sentence. It's not what
0: you sell, it's how you sell that will distinguish you. Not what you sell, but how you sell. See, most salesmen are cut from the same cloth. They act, sound, look, and behave the same way. And when you have a salesman in front of you. So, look, if you work in telecom software sales, right, uh, there's probably another 300 companies across the world that work in telecom software. So the odds are all the salesmen are going to look and sound pretty much the same. So when you look and sound the same, the only thing they can really distinguish you on is two things, how much it costs and whether or not they liked you. And that feeds into the narrative that salesmen always feed out, that it's you've got to get the pricing right, and if they like you, you'll be fine. So if you change the paradigm now and say, well, actually, if I stop acting and behaving, like every other salesman, and start, as you say, in the challenge yourself, start asking challenging questions, start making the prospect realize that they need me, I don't need them, and acting like someone who can walk away, then the tables are flipped. They know they suddenly realize their money has no power. You see, I ask all my clients this. If you were a billionaire solely selling what you do for the sheer joy, you don't need the money, would you put up with half the crap your prospects put you through? And they all yeah. say no. I said the only reason you're doing it now is because of the money, and you're behaving consistent with somebody that is desperate to get money. Behave like someone that doesn't need the money. How would someone who doesn't need the money act and behave in front of a CEO who was arguing with them over fees?
1: I like. I love that one. I love the, the analogy of you're a billionaire and you just want to do it for the, the sake of it and the joy of it, and yeah. that leads perfectly into the next question I was going to ask you, which is, you talk a lot. In different podcasts, in your videos also, about most salespeople are average. And yeah. I would say that that's probably true in most jobs. But the problem is that the average salesperson has a very bad rep. Yeah. And there are reasons for that, right? Because they they make a lot of the mistakes you were talking about and, yeah. and they really get on your nerves. So what I would like to work out a little bit over the next one, two, three minutes is... What are some of the characteristics of a of the great salespeople? Now I'll start with one in a second, because you said most people are most people are cut from the same cloth. So let's say you've seen so many salespeople. Now you walk into a room and you get to know someone. How do you know you're looking at someone? Well, this might be a different person. And I'll tell you one thing that I've seen. And this goes back to your billionaire analogy. Some of the best salespeople I've ever seen are the people that are really just very interested in what it is that they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And they want to continue that conversation, uh, whether or not the customer is going to buy. And many times these are engineers or these are people coming from different backgrounds where you would think, oh, no, they're way too analytical. But at the end of the day, they really want to solve that problem with the customer in the first place. And selling is an afterthought. They're just interested in the puzzle. Yeah, yep. So that's one of the characteristics I've seen. Uh, what are some of that you've seen where you look at someone and you're like, okay, this, this might be a good salesperson? Uh, a good salesperson
0: doesn't mind no either. Uh, and, and most salesmen hate no. Um, they avoid it like the plague. Um, and if you're scared to get a no, how are you ever going to get better? Because you only learn through failure. And that's what makes another good salesman, a willingness to fail, a willingness to take a risk and maybe it'll come off maybe it won't they don't play it safe so asking tough questions isn't safe so most people avoid it so in order to achieve something great risk is letting go of something you're holding on for and reaching for something you may not be able to grasp that takes courage most salesmen lack courage uh, most salesmen lack a sense of belief in what they're doing and by that i mean Let's be brutally honest here. 95% of people right now in a sales role do not want to be there. The only reason mm. they're there is they needed a job. Yeah, let's not lie. Yeah, you, I, I gave a speech a few. Uh, I, I was talking about this this morning on another podcast. I gave a talk to 200 businessmen and entrepreneurs, and I said, put up your hand if when you were asked at school, what do you want to be when you grow up? Put up your hand if you said salesman. Not a single hand went up. Mm-mm. Nobody wants to be in showers. They're there by default. And if you're doing something that deep down you don't want to be doing, are you ever really gonna get that good at it? I mean, how many accidental lawyers are there? Or how many accidental surgeons are there? Not a lot, because you you deliberately choose that vocation and study hard and want to be the best. That's not the same in sales. So one of the biggest reasons that salespeople fail, so what, no, going back, what I would look for in someone is someone who says, I'm going to be a salesman probably for the rest of my life in one form or another. I'm in this forever because it is a real profession. It's not a job, it's a career. For too many people, it's a career. They're waiting for their mate to win the lottery so that it will open a bar in Hawaii and they can go be the bar star. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. I also agree with that, and I really like that one. Uh, I do a lot of.
0: Something, surely.
1: Uh, What do you mean? We're going to have to disagree on something. (laughs) I, I will get to some point. Oh, good. Uh, you're, you're, just, you're just waiting for them. Uh, I, I wanted to start I with some agreements, right? <laughs> uh, so, no, I agree with uh, having to look for people who who really want to do this. Um, but And this is where a little bit of a disagreement or a little bit of an issue comes in. So I have an own sales team. Uh, it's called the Graduate Program. And surely you know what that is. I take people from university and I get them through a couple different projects. And then after one year and a half, uh, best case, we have made salespeople coming out. And what you have a lot with especially younger people is they're not yet ready to say things like, I want to be a a salesperson, or I want to, they might even not not even be able to say something like, I want to be a lawyer. What I've seen happen in good salespeople is that they develop that while trying it out. And so I have a little bit of a conundrum where I also want to be looking for people who say, I really want to do this, but at the same time, I know that usually it takes uh, a little bit of a experience in sales to be able to say that because it's so different. It is, it's usually something they won't know what happens. So this is where I disagree with uh, you have to hire people who, who won't be able to tell you that yet to yeah. get them to the point where they will. Yeah. So there are certain attributes that you would want to look for.
0: Um, and you know, ultimately any good salesman wants to be self-employed. Yep. Uh, and if somebody has a desire to work for themselves or be their own boss, you've probably got someone that's going to be a salesman because all good salesmen eventually quit their jobs and set up on their own. That's the whole point. Um, so there's immense freedom in being a good salesman. Um, so We have
1: a lot of, we have a lot of founders and heads of listening to our podcast. You shouldn't say these things. Oh, wh- why? Why? Because the people are going to run away. That's what they think. I, I don't think so, but they're going to be like, oh, I don't want people joining and then leaving after a year if they're good. Oh, that's called life it happens
0: yep. yeah i mean the reason they're where they are these guys are founders and directors is because one day they were sitting at a desk and i thought well, why am i working for this idiot and they yep. did it themselves so no but that but the great thing about human beings is it's predictability and most human beings are too scared to take risk they prefer comfort and security over uncertainty and risk um and that's why You know, only 5% of the population owns virtually everything.
1: agree with that. (laughs) I'll get to, uh, because you were asking for that, I'll get to one more question, then I'll I'll tell you something I've disagreed with what I've seen so far. Uh, Just to to make that very graspable for salespeople, because usually, you know, sometimes uh, mindset is a little bit up in the air, uh, and they want something that they can do tomorrow, right? Yeah and you've probably had that as well where people tell you like okay what is it that i can do now look at me give me two things uh what are some of the quick wins that you would tell people you could do this now uh yes it's going to take you longer to develop the mindset but it would add five percent to your game if you were changing this right now
0: okay well there's something that can be done um Stop answering questions. You don't need to uh, work with a sales trainer to master the art of not answering a question. It is an impulse. Um, And you can start in every area of your private life. The moment you get off of listening to this podcast, someone is going to turn to you and ask you a question. Um, Would you like a cup of tea? How's your day? How was the podcast? You're going to answer instantaneously. Start training your brain not to answer. Start learning how not to answer. And then once you stop, feeling obligated to answer a question, you start to develop the art of listening, which means you listen to people more and you'll be able to create a question based on the language that they've used to ask you a question. So when somebody says to me, Benjamin, have you ever worked with a company like ours? I can answer that by saying, when you say like ours, can you be a bit more specific? Mm-hmm. Very, very simple. It's something you could do right now, right now today. Next time you walk to Starbucks and they say, can I take your order? You don't answer. You say, what's on offer? I bet you they'll vomit all over
1: you about the specials. But I'll tell you why people are answering those questions. So if you go back to the question you said, have you have you worked with companies like ours? Yeah. People have the need to answer that question immediately because they feel that they need to qualify themselves in that moment. Uh, they feel that this is a question that is aimed at qualifying you from the buyer side. And it might just be. But the problem is when you stay in that framework where you're asked something and now you need to deliver value to pass their tests and to go to the next stage, uh, that is the wrong approach to it. Uh, because because
0: what they're doing is they've fallen into the trap of thinking they need to impress the prospect. I'm not there to impress a prospect. I couldn't care less. Um, They need to convince me why I should work with them because, like I said, I know what I do works. So if you're a surgeon, you don't have to impress the patient. It's like, no, I'm not here to impress you. I'm not here for you to like me. I know that if you've got the particular cancerous mole that I have to cut out, I can cut it out. The question is are you qualified for surgery? Yep. Yeah, so so it's changing that mindset. I'm not there to impress anyone. I know I'm bloody good. I don't need you to tell me.
1: Ah, uh, but here we get to something that I I wouldn't, I don't, I don't know if I disagree with you because I haven't heard your wor- words on that yet, but I'll tell you something that I've thought about when I listen to your stuff, yeah. which is I believe, and I don't know yet, but I'm looking into probably taking one of your trainings too just to educate myself further because I'm a sales trainer, but I also love looking at other sales trainers to expand my, my knowledge, right? Yeah. So- I believe you're probably a pretty good sales trainer Uh, otherwise I wouldn't have you on here but your product as a salesperson is you as a trainer and what I mean by that is uh, I think that a lot of your advice works when your product is good or when your product is even very good which you as a sales trainer probably is now what do you do as a salesperson, if your product is just not good, or if you know the competition in, uh, across the street or one city over might just be better. And we have some situations like this, especially for startups, who they just start out, they're just building their product, but they still want to build a market. And so the answer I would give them is not necessarily, well, get out of the company, but it might take a while. It might take a year until your product is up to par. What do you do in those situations? So you're selling a substandard product that you don't believe in. Well, see, in the startup world, you often have to start with substandard. And in a very short amount of time, you have to get to standard or even beyond, right? Because you're trying to change some things. But there will always be a time where you're not up to par yet. And that doesn't mean that you stop working, but you still have to work in that time. And you have to get customers to maybe believe in the journey with you. You'll tell them, well, look, we started... CRM platform, customer success platform, and we don't have everything yet that the others have, but we have a goal and this is it. We'll be there in a year, but let's sign up now so we can work together. How do you do that?
0: Okay. Well, it's like with anything, well, nothing changes. Um, first of all, whatever you're selling must fix something. So the question is, is do, do, does your prospect identify with the things that you fix? If they identify with the things that you fix, you should be fine. Um, that's as basic as it gets. I would tell people, in fact, when I work with smaller companies, I say, tell them up front. That the three reasons you're not going to work with us are, well, first of all, we're a startup and we've never done this before. Is that going to be a problem? Yeah. Now, they only can say one or two things, can't they? They can either say yes or no. If they say yes, you go, I thought so. So is there any reason why you decided to meet with us in that case? <laughs> Uh, uh, now they start well we just thought you had a good idea right so help me understand if this was a good idea and you believed it would work but you know it's not exactly tickety boo because we're a startup but you believed in it and you believed we're going to eventually deliver on what we say we're going to deliver on what's going to happen between us then Yeah. And so nice.
1: you're talking about buying, buying into the journey, and and going into the yeah into their motivation to buy into the journey because yeah. they actually apparently they're there, so they believe in something you've told them. Yeah, I'm here I for reason. To hang I on just to.
0: Invite me in because you feel sorry for startups. Yeah, I agree. So all you do is find out. Well, why am I here? Well, because we're interested in what you do. Okay, and assuming you love what we do, and you believe eventually that we'll deliver on what we're going to deliver. What's going to happen between us?
1: So would you say that, and and this goes back to the starting question for this, would you say that you change your shift a little bit away from the product to the product vision in case that you as a salesperson believe that this is going to be a good product? But would you say that if you're a good salesperson uh, with a shitty product, you should probably get out of the company or otherwise you'll have trouble selling because I believe that a lot of the things you tell people uh, come from having a good product, believing in it. And if you don't, then you're going to have trouble implementing these things. Well, the problem is, is most salespeople lie about what they want a sales job. So they go
0: on the website and they say they love the company and they want to work for it. But deep down, they don't. They just want a paycheck. Yeah. yeah. So if they started off by being a little bit more honest with themselves and started only looking for jobs, that they stuff they wanted to sell, that would make it easier. If you believe in what you're selling, it certainly makes it easier. But you don't have to believe in something – To necessarily sell it because even if you don't believe in it, it may fix a problem. So CRM is a classic example. I don't use a CRM system because I don't see the bloody point because a CRM. That's something
1: I really disagree with. Sorry to interrupt you there. That's something I really disagree with, Uh, but keep going. I was going to say, because
0: a CRM system is only as good as the human beings that use it. Uh, And a CRM system doesn't move a sale along at all. It all comes down to the information put into it. So I don't see the point. I don't think you need one. Just a spreadsheet is just as good. You know who you've talked to. You know who you need to call back. It's not complicated. A CRM system gives it a veneer of looking far more sophisticated than what it is. So... Um, But I could sell CRM systems if I chose to, not because I believe they work, but I know a lot of people like them because some people it's a crutch. And if they just want to buy a crutch, I'll sell you a crutch.
1: You see, though, you say that as, as someone who I don't know how many people you have working in your company, but there's probably not too many. And no, as far from, me. from from what I've yeah from from what I'm seeing, you're doing your sales alone. And then I can understand what you're saying. But from an organizational level, yeah. if you have to get people communicating with each other, I'm going on vacation. I need to give you my accounts. Uh, I'm leaving the company because I'm getting fired. Somebody has to come in after me uh, or I'm taking over someone's accounts. We're re-rotating uh, hierarchies, territories. It will be impossible to do that if if you would not have – it doesn't have to be a CRM, but if you wouldn't have a, a way for people to share those informations well, with each obviously. Other. I, 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 yeah, I mean
0: I'm not a complete idiot. You, you have to have some form of, of system of accountability to hold data. What I'm saying is CRM systems are often sold as a panacea to help you make sales. Yep. And they're not. <laughs> CRM systems don't sell anything.
1: I would agree, I would say that most CRM systems – uh, especially if you don't put in the work, uh, they're going to even detract you from making sales because they take time out of your day. That's yeah. obvious. They're just a necessary evil to make an organization work. Yeah, well, uh, you know and they you might take a- pick up the phone. Yep, that's true. I agree with that. There we go. Uh, so, last thing I wanted to go into, and that's a very practical aspect. Since you're a sales trainer, I'm also to an extent a sales trainer. I give about one to two trainings a month, and I'm having one this week, as I said. Uh, what happens a lot in startups, and since most people are listening are startups, um, is there's just no time for that or no awareness yet of uh, of, of the importance of it, uh, as well as just not, not the skill set yet. You also need to have a, a trainer that can do that for you, uh, or maybe you have someone internally. Um, I would... Take your approach on what do you think would be, of course, what is the importance of sales training or coaching? Why should you do it? But also, what would you do if you were really cash strapped? Because that's the reality. You have maybe one day a month and that's all you have, or one day half a year. What is it that you would be doing as a startup?
0: Well, let me ask you a question. If you are starting out your career as a professional golfer or a professional swimmer, would the first thing you get rid of be your coach?
1: Uh, obviously, not.
0: No, in fact, wouldn't they be the number one expense that you shelve out for? Obviously. Right. Sales is exactly the same. Uh, it's just because most people don't see selling as a profession. Remember, most people are in it by default, not by design. If I was by default trying to become a professional golfer, I probably would never coach. I said, it'll be fine. I'll wing it. I'll get there. Yep. Yeah. So, so it's, sorry. It's, it's, it's as important as oxygen.
1: I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, That that was a strong one, which I'm going to take that one. So, so, okay, we can do something, right. But we have uh, also other departments. We have marketing who needs some attention and some money. There's only X amount of money, so we can get you in, but we can get you in only for an hour or two or a day. What is the core to you of training uh, that, that you would tell young organizations? What should you focus on in coaching that you would tell young organizations given very, very strict budgets?
0: Hmm, what would I tell them? Well, you are the products of your belief in your program. If you're going to spend any money on any sales training, I'd hire a psychiatrist. (laughs) And I would get the psychiatrist to focus on the mindset and the the headaches and the pitfalls that hold them back. I hold up the ugly mirror. That's my job. I say I hold up the ugly mirror. Whatever problem you have with sales, just take a long look in the mirror and you're probably looking at it. Every sales problem is usually internally generated. Um, and it is because of head trash and programming. So if you seriously couldn't afford ongoing sales training. my advice would be hire someone that can give your guys a window into their own mind to help them get out of their own way everything mm-hmm. else after that is technique yeah but until you understand it you're never going to
1: change so yeah hire a psychiatrist if you can't afford a sales trainer is that is that a way you would also describe yourself because you do a lot of that holding a mirror up and that's probably also why you chose that name UK Smoltated Sales Trainer um because you believe that not everybody's going to like that when you do that obviously yeah i'm not a sales trainer i'm a therapist <laughs> Yeah, you're so many things in this car, right? It's crazy.
0: I'm a therapist. I spend most of my time helping people get over the crap that they've got going on in their head because that's the only reason they can't do anything that I teach. And then once they get over it, they start applying the technique, but it doesn't work. So I can then help them with the technique and show them where they're going wrong. Um, but I can't help somebody that doesn't believe they need help. So it's like AA. Until you admit you've got a problem, you're never going to fix the problem. Um, and, and that's the challenge I have with salespeople is them admitting that they suck.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would say I don't know if anybody's going to go out there, especially among our portfolio companies, and hire psychiatrists, psychiatrist. Uh, even though they might have, to, they they should uh, at some point, maybe. Yeah. Um, what I do believe a lot in is, and I mean that in not the used-out way, but in the honest, true way, is is honesty in in feedback. Uh, and I've seen this happen really well, almost never, and almost uh, nowhere. Uh, I have my own sales team, as I told you, of, of sales graduates, and I'm probably more honest than I should be with them, but I think they're much better off for that. Uh, we are a very self-critical bunch, including me, myself, and we talk almost always from the, the starting point that we just suck and we know nothing, but that that's okay, and we're going to use what we do have. And there's um, there are some rules to my program, such as uh, leave your ego at home. It's all about competency, and, and we're trying to build those things. And, you know, I only work with people who buy into that and who are able to give me, but also uh, take feedback that goes down to sometimes even a very guttural level where you tell them, this is just shit. You just, you just made a complete fool of yourself in that call. Now let's dissect it. Why did you do that? And uh, I think that's a, that's a good way to go about things. Most people don't have the time for it, but I think it's worth the time to go down to a oh. really low level. It's like anything in life. If it's important, you'll find
0: time. These startups don't forget to do the stuff they really want to do. So there's no such thing as there's no time. There is just, this is not a priority. Yeah, that's like yeah. anything in life. So no, time is, can never be used as an excuse for not doing something. Yeah? yeah, you don't forget to put your clothes on every morning before you leave the house. Why? Because it's so important that you don't go out naked. Yeah,
1: you
0: <laughs> never forget. You never forget. I've never met anyone that's gone to work naked and said, "You know what? I was just so busy, I forgot to get
1: dressed." It depends on what your job is. You're a stripper. You're gonna take. Uh, you're gonna take those clothes off. Yeah, but that's when you get to work. Yeah. Okay, that's true. I don't know what your job would be, but you might come up with someone uh, with one. But yeah, uh,
0: never forget to do or find time to do what is important. And unfortunately, coaching and training isn't important. Because people hire salespeople saying, look, I fucking hired you to sell, not to hold your hand. And I understand that. But the problem is, if you don't know how to hire good salespeople, which you probably don't, if that's your attitude, then you're always going to be in this cycle of feast and famine.
1: And we'll leave it at that. I love your, I love your choice of words, by the way. Uh, you, you can take some away from that. Unfortunately, we, d- we didn't get to one or two more things that I disagree with, but who knows? There might be a oh, follow-up. one out now. Oh, oh, one more thing. Go on. Let's do it for the listeners. One thing you disagree with me on. Go. So one thing that I was thinking a lot about is really your practical aspects of selling. and And this goes back a little bit to the... CRM thing, yeah. uh, but also to the how do you work when you have to maybe, uh, um, when you have to, when you have a manager above you, when you have to respond to someone, when you have to hand over accounts, because, again, I th- I think a lot of what you talk about comes from the view of I'm a self-employed salesperson, I work for myself, uh, but there are certain Rules that you have to follow. There, yeah. there are certain frameworks that uh, yeah. people might have to agree with, and you, those things you don't talk about very much. And when you do, again, usually it's like I don't care about those. I, I try to not do those. And and a lot of my disagreement comes from those topics. It is that uh, you have to find some common ground. You have to find some way for people to work together, right? And yeah. so this is my point: is how do you how do you get your mind frame uh, or your your mindsets into organizations as a whole where they can actually work together and not rip each other Throw
0: well again, again, like I said, it goes back to uh 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 so so I agree with what you're saying. If you work in a company and they got a CRM system and say you've got to use it, you've got to use it. I'm not telling you to start a revolution. Uh what I am saying is don't use it to become a source of procrastination and avoidance which is so often the case, um, because you get to hide behind the CRM system. Now, that is a personal choice. A company doesn't make you hide behind it. That is something you choose to do, and it will go back to scripting. I don't really want to prospect, so I find plenty of ways to keep myself busy with the CRM system. Or I'll phone people that the CRM system says are due for a call now rather than reach out to new people, even though deep down I know the people the CRM system is telling me to call are pretty shit anyway because
1: I remember putting them in. And this is where, for example, someone like me often comes in because this is something I specialize in. Is how do you make it so that it, if you have to use it, how do you make it so it takes less time, and how do you make it so that in some ways it might even help people sell more uh, and and it offsets some of that time loss. Right, okay.
0: Back to behavior. I mean, I think the only thing you need to log in a CRM system is if you had a conversation with a decision maker. I don't need to put a note in saying spoke with the gatekeeper or left a voice message, um, things like that. Unless you're told you have to tick the box, left a voice message because we're measuring your number of dials. Then I would go back to management and say, well, why are you measuring dials? Dials is a stupid thing to measure. You should be measuring conversations at the right level because if they're having enough conversations at the right level,
1: they'll hit target. Who cares how many numbers they dial? What about details of the account? Those are things you also want to measure, right? Right. Uh, how big are they how, what industry are they in? those, those might be interesting so
0: we got to separate the two from account management and selling as well yeah so if we divide between new new business and existing business if you're growing and farming accounts then obviously yes there are processes but if you're doing new new business
1: there's not a lot of detail you need oh but even for leads let's say you go out and buy lead lists you pay some money for that or or you find them online uh, it might be interesting to know what industry they're in uh, or or judging from the industry, they might be interesting to call in the first place. Well,
0: I assumed you'd phone any lead that came in anyway. Assuming the word lead is very useless.
1: Lead just means a human being breathed in the real world. Yeah, but I mean, if let's say you're selling a software as a service for B2B. Yeah. Obviously, you're not going to sell a call B2B, B2C companies. So that's already one thing that you need to put somewhere, that information. You need to have it. Those are a B2B or a B2C company. And you're not going to sell the B2C companies because yeah. they have nothing to do with your product.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, no, obviously, you stick it in a system. But like I said, it's when the system becomes a crutch and people spend more time in the system than they do actually prospecting. That's where it becomes yep. challenging. So, yeah, you need to collate data. I, I don't dispute that. Um, the problem I have is that's never usually the argument from sales. They're never giving that argument. The argument is, well, I need to do my research before I call. So, I need to go back into my notes to read what I previously wrote about this customer before I call them. And before you know it, five minutes has gone by.
1: Yep. I, I can recommend oh sorry keep going
0: oh, and then they say they've run out of time to prospect.
1: yeah I can re- recommend one of your video series uh, and then I would like to close it also due to oh. time reasons. Uh, I can re- recommend one of your video series, which is uh, you doing live prospecting I think it's like five minutes uh, five videos i 10 to 15 minutes each yeah uh, where you're just ha- having a phone in your hand and just calling some numbers yeah uh, I really enjoy that one. I send that to all my graduates um, just to have another view on how you, how fast you can achieve some things and how often yeah. you can get people on the phone and how much you can achieve in one hour because one hour can be really long in sales. You can talk to 10 people or one hour can be you just looking at a kind of report, a couple of reports, right. uh, grabbing a coffee and calling one customer who doesn't answer, right? Exactly. So like I said, no one likes prospecting. I hate prospecting. I'm good at it, but
0: I don't enjoy it. I don't like it. I don't look forward to it. But if I'm going to spend an hour prospecting, it is about getting as many conversations under the belt in that hour, which means not flaffing about with the CRM system trying to figure out why I should call them. I know why I'm calling them. They run a company and they've probably got salespeople. That's all I need to know.
1: Yep, yeah. yeah. I'll leave it at that, Benjamin. Uh, I'll finish, we'll finish for today. Uh, again, I'm... I think we talked more about things today that we that we did agree on, but I, I think that's not the discerning factor. I think the uh, discerning factor is there's a lot of value in my mind to your approach to things, which is it's about the mindset. It's about the way you do things, and it's about what's behind the scenes. And the rest is just techniques which can which you can learn from books. You can learn from, from different parts, but uh, from different sides. But at the end of the day, it's what's inside of you that makes a difference because it's, it's people connecting with people, and it's people trying to solve problems for people. So I agree with that. Uh, I really enjoy also the way you put it. So, again, uh, people go check out his stuff. That's how I came on to him. And uh, where can we find you, Benjamin, if people want to get in so, touch with you or want to see LinkedIn, your stuff?
0: LinkedIn is the best place to find me. So it's it's Benjamin Dennehy, um, or, uh, UK's most hated sales trainer. I've got a website, uh, www.uk's most hated sales trainer. Caveat, it is a crap-looking website, but it's only designed to take card payments. I'm um, so. <laughs> Don't judge me on my web building skills, because if you're looking for a web designer, it is not me.
1: Yeah. All right, check it out. Uh, Thank you very much for for being here, Benjamin. Uh, Thank you also for listening in. Who knows, there might be a follow-up at some point about more things we need to talk about. Uh, Other than that, uh, I enjoyed it. Have fun. I enjoyed it too, Raoul. Thank you for your time. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating.